Um, we're going to be in Philippians again this morning. We're, we're back in Philippians chapter 3. We've been going through Philippians since I arrived here. And um, that we took the last two Sundays to focus on our cantata and on Easter, our Easter message. And so now we're going to be back in. I said Philippians chapter 3. It's actually the end of chapter 2. We'll start in verse 19. Um, but let me give you a little bit of background uh, for those of you who haven't been here or maybe uh, you've slept since then. Um, we have been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And we have seen some pretty incredible things already. We, we've seen, first of all, how this letter even came to be, the background on it, about how um, Paul was headed one way and God had him to go another way. And he ended up meeting these people here. The church at Philippi uh, was founded. And uh, that's how this relationship, the whole thing started. And, and we saw in chapter 1 that... Paul's desire was to live in fellowship with these people, to be, he missed them. Paul is writing this letter from jail, and he, he misses getting to be with them. He misses their fellowship. He says every time he thinks of them, every time he prays for them, he thanks God for them. And so um, we see that. We see how he, his desire is to advance the gospel. He's not upset that he's in prison. I mean, I'm sure he preferred not to be there, but he saw how God was using it. For his glory. And so he was excited to see how God was using his imprisonment to advance the gospel. We, as we continued in chapter 1, we saw where he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. If he was to continue to live, continue to be imprisoned, whatever happened if he was to live, that it was going to be for God's glory. And if he was to die, if that was the, the outcome of his trial, then it was to his gain. He got to be in heaven. He got to be with Christ. So he was at peace either way. And then we see at the end of chapter 1, transitioning into chapter 2, where Paul begins to talk to, to, to them about humility. And we saw a couple of sermons ago in Philippians that humility um, leads to unity. And we saw how Paul encouraged them to humble themselves, to, put, to count others as more significant than themselves, to put other people first. And we saw that he said that they had the ability to do this because they had seen the example that Jesus set. Who, though he was God, he did not consider, you know, all the privileges of God something to be held on to. So he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant, even to death. And so Jesus came and he showed us what it means to, to live in humility. And so humility leads to unity, then the last sermon in Philippians we saw where salvation leads to works. That works don't lead to salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. It is not by works. So none of us can boast. However, our salvation should lead to works. And actually, we, we talked about if you are saved, then salvation leads to works. And this week, we're going to look at how partnership leads to to leaders or leadership. And any time you have a church that is functioning the way that Paul is encouraging this church at Philippi to function, you have unity because of the humility that you have, or you're putting each other first. There is unity. And when there is unity, there is health. And when there is health, you're going to see people getting saved. 
and those who are already saved, there are going to be works, good works that are being done. And so you're, you're growing in, this church is growing into the image of Christ, as it talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. They're, they're looking more and more like him. The more they follow him, the more they obey him and serve him. He is transforming them into his image. And it's leading to these works. And when you have that going on, when a church is healthy, when a church is growing, then inevitably you are going to need leaders. You're going to need people to step up in different areas. And when I say leaders, I I immediately want you to broaden what you're thinking about. Okay, Because a lot of times when I say leaders... um, we know that we're guilty, especially as Southern Baptists, we're guilty of saying that the leader is the preacher or the leader is just the staff. But it's more than that. And, you know, a, a real um, a church that's, that's really out there might even call deacons leaders, right? But what we're going to say is, is that leadership can take on many forms and it can take on... Let me see how to word this. This is about the first time I've been tongue-tied here. There's, there's more of this to come. Don't worry. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this, is that sometimes leaders are out front, and leaders are vocal and, and preaching and teaching. The Bible calls most of those leaders who are, who are teaching and sharing in that sort of vision and shepherding of the church that calls them elders and then pastors that kind of deal um and then there are deacons and deacons are servants who are serving in specific functions in the church making sure that the church is running properly making sure that the the teachers have enough time to prepare and teach and lead and and the deacons and and the pastors and they are working in fellowship they are leaders but then there are people who are leading in the background, who are organizing things, but might not ever get up on the stage to announce that they have organized things. So you might not see them. I bet that as I talk about people who lead in the background, as I talk about this, there are probably going to be individuals that come to mind for you. People that you have known throughout your life who maybe they never got credit from a stage, but they were absolutely leaders. And so we're going to look at a couple of different leaders today and three specifically. But as we're looking at these leaders, I I want us to realize that anytime that there's unity, anytime that there's growth, that God is going to, we are going to require more leaders and God is going to raise up those leaders. And so immediately this morning, I want you to begin to think about where do I fit? Maybe you belong to this church. The question is, where do you fit into leadership in this church? Maybe your job is to support a leader, a specific leader in a specific area of ministry. Or maybe your job is to step up and and to pursue leadership, you being the leader of a specific ministry. Maybe if you're in here this morning, your job is to be the leader of your household. Maybe it's your job to lead your spouse or your children. 
leadership takes on a lot of different forms. In uh, 1 Timothy, we see when it's given the qualifications of elders and deacons, it says that uh, in the very first verse of that chapter, it says those who desire this, this role of leadership, that is a good desire. Now, it doesn't mean everybody is called to that or everyone is qualified for that or, or will be that, lead, that specific type of leader in that case. But to desire to be a leader is a good desire. And so, with all that said, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, if you were to go back to the introduction of Philippians, the first uh, couple of verses there, uh, we see the third word of, of the, this letter, that Timothy is right there with Paul as Paul is writing the letter. And here we see that the reason Paul mentioned Timothy in the first place, because there were usually people there with, with Paul when he was writing letters, and he didn't always mention them. The reason that he mentioned Timothy is because they knew him. When we looked at how this letter was created, Paul was with, uh, Timothy was with Paul and Silas when, when this church, when the church at Philippi was planted, when Lydia was saved, and when Luke joined their team and all of that. And so they knew Timothy, but here we see that there's another reason why Paul mentioned his name. The reason is because I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Paul was hoping to send Timothy to them. Now, Paul, I'm sure selfishly, he would have loved for Timothy to stay with him because here he is, and he's imprisoned, and he, he doesn't know what, what's happening or what, what the future holds. And I'm sure he's scared. I'm sure, well, we know this. He's, he says as much that he, yes, he knows that it's all in God's hands, and he knows that everything's going to be taken care of, but that doesn't mean that he didn't have some concerns. And so he's hoping to send Timothy to the church at Philippi so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Listen to the affection that, with which Paul speaks when he mentions Timothy's name. Paul loved Timothy. He was like a son to him, as we'll see in just a second. And Paul is telling the church that, look, not only do I love you, not only am I wanting you to live together in unity, not only am I wanting you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but I am sending you, Timothy, to help you in this area. I'm not just telling you to do these things and leaving you high and dry. I'm, pre- I'm sending someone to help. And we'll see, actually, in a moment that he's going to send two someones to help. But... He says he has no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Doesn't it feel good to hear someone say something nice about you? Just to affirm you? Um, Rose is, is good about that, telling me, you know, I'm a great husband. She always tells me how much she loves it when I uh, talk about her from the stage. That might be sarcasm. But she's, she is always affirming me. And it feels good. I remember one time I was having a really hard week. I was, you know, about 20. And you know how when you're 20, there's some really hard weeks. I mean, 
there's a girl or there's, you know, you don't have enough money to eat at Pizza Hut. There's always something going on. And so I was not in the greatest of moods. And let me just say this. 20-year-olds have serious problems. I'm just joking about my 20-year-old self. There are some children that I've met who in their childhood had faced more adversity than I would ever face in my entire life. And so anyway, um, I I was riding. I was 20. I was riding in the vehicle with uh, Jeff Noble, who was one of my mentors. He was one of my Pauls, as Timothy had his Paul. Jeff was my Paul. Um, And uh, he said, "What's, what's going on? I could tell that you're down. I could tell something's wrong. And I was like, oh, nothing. It's just life. And, you know, and he said, well, he said, do you mind if I encourage you? I was like, yeah, sure. And so he starts saying all these good things about me. And at first, I didn't want to enjoy them because I knew what he was doing. I knew he was trying to make me feel better. And sometimes that's just annoying, right? But then he just kept talking, and I was like, oh, that's true about me. (laughs) And uh, I just couldn't quite help it. It, When someone speaks truth, or even if it's not so true, it's just kindness. When someone speaks those things into your life, it feels good. And here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote most of the New Testament. And he is saying these things about Timothy. I can only imagine how Timothy must have beamed when he read these things, when Paul said these things about him. And so, as we're reading Scripture, now the main point of this is leadership that we're going to, be, we're going to see today. But I don't want us to miss the depth of this passage. Who can you encourage? Who can you... You can write a letter to someone... You can send a text to someone. You can make a phone call or make a visit and tell someone something that they're doing well. You can sit at the dinner table with your family and you can tell them something that you love about them. And even if even if you make your children do that, right? Because sometimes we have to make our children say nice things about each other or about us. Even if your your force is, is your force, your spouse is forced to do that because you're playing this game. If they're saying something true about you, it's going to feel good either way. And so I just want to encourage you to encourage others as we're looking at, at, at leadership today, because a good leader, yeah, he he or she will push people, they will uh, rebuke them. But they will also encourage. They will also give credit where credit is due. They will tell people that they're doing a good job. And so make sure that that's you as as you're living out your faith and as you're pursuing leadership or, or whatever role you're, you're playing in the church. So let's continue. Verse 21. For they all, they being other people who call themselves leaders, um, others who are not Timothy, uh, for all, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, this is directly in um, it, it's it's a opposite. It's of what we read in chapter one about Paul being so like minded with Jesus that he's willing to die 
that in, in the beginning of chapter 2, he's encouraging them to consider others more significant than themselves, to, to pursue unity at the expense of getting your way. And that type of person is the opposite of what Paul is saying here. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Again, we've talked about how they know Timothy. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy has had time to prove himself. Uh, before, between uh, Timothy's salvation or when scholars believe Timothy was saved and the moment that he went out with Paul five to six years passed in there and now here he is he's been serving with Paul and he has proven his worth and not not only does Paul know that in Rome but the Philippians have have heard this and and we don't know how well they know Timothy but we know that they know him well enough for Paul to be able to say that but you know Timothy's proven worth when people prove their worth, they are already leaders. Let me explain what I mean by that. I have friends who have ministered alongside me, and they, they didn't have the title pastor. They didn't have the title minister or deacon or whatever. But they were proven that they were that by their actions. Does that make sense? There are people in our lives who before they ever get a title, they are already leaders. They're already servants. In fact, if, if we're really to look at um, leadership in, in a biblical sense... Yes, God calls people to specific ministries. But when you look at leadership in the New Testament, there are qualifications. We are told, look for people who are doing this and this, who have these qualities. And when you see people who already have those qualities, that's when you ordain them as a minister or you ordain them as a deacon or whatever the case might be. You look for people who are already displaying these qualities of leadership, and then those people become, we give them a title, once they're already proven. And Timothy is proven his worth. So my question to you this morning is, are you proving your worth? Now, we've already talked about the fact that none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve God's mercy. There have been a couple of times in the past week or two where I've been thinking about Hebrews, this Bible study that Terry is leading the men through on Wednesday night. And uh, I've been thinking about how I'm so grateful for Jesus because I sure do not deserve his forgiveness, his love. I surely don't deserve the fact that he died on a cross for me as we celebrated on Good Friday. And I'm just so grateful that he offers me salvation freely. And that is not something that I have to deserve because I could never deserve it. I could never earn it. And so, as we're talking about leadership, as we're talking about 
what Paul is saying here to the church at Philippi. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be leaders. But God gives us mercy and he gives us grace and he calls us all to follow him. He calls us all to obey him. And we are saved by his grace. And that doesn't mean that as soon as we're saved, we're never going to sin again. We're going to become perfect. But it does mean that we should pursue holiness. It does mean that we should strive for holiness. That we should put ourselves in a position to where we're not giving in to the same temptations and the same sins over and over again. We should pursue those things. We should pursue leadership in our own ways, in a, in a way that fits the personalities that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us. We should pursue leadership. And as we're pursuing it, as we're proving our worth, then God will give us opportunities to lead. He will give us opportunities to serve. Um, when I started out in ministry, as, and a lot of ministers have this story, um, I, was, I was making $50 a week, and I was spending more than that on gas to get to and from church. And so, but I wasn't doing it for a paycheck. I was doing it because God had called me to lead, and I wanted to lead, and I had a hunger to lead. And there are times when young ministers, tonight we're going to be talking about ministry and i've had 14 people from my ministries over over the years who have gone out to be pastors or youth pastors or music ministers or whatever the case might be and sometimes young people would come to me i say young people like i'm not a young person um some of the people that became pastors were older than me uh, but young people would come to me and they would tell me that they wanted to be a minister but i could tell that it was just an occupation that they were looking for it, they weren't really in, passionate about ministry in and of itself. They thought, I'm a Christian. Wouldn't it be cool to get a paycheck for being a Christian, right? Which is a naive way of looking at ministry. But when people are starting out, that's they might have that view. And, you know, I can think of people. I'm not going to name these names. But I can think of people off the top of my head who would come to me and who would ask me, please talk to this church and get me this job. And I would tell them, no, I'm not going to get you this job because you have to prove yourself first. You have to prove your worth. Now, you can do ministry without being a pastor or a youth pastor or something like that. Those who are proving themselves outside of the pulpit, then we can talk about the pulpit. Those who are proving themselves as servants, then we can talk about the label of a deacon. Those who are proving themselves in evangelism, then we can talk about you leading evangelism. Those who are proving themselves as hospitable people, then we can talk about how can God use you in the context of, of corporate worship, of our church, in the area of hospitality. You prove yourself in Christ, and then the church gives you a leadership position. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope it doesn't sound arrogant. I hope it doesn't sound just like uh, Philip's philosophy or something. We see that Timothy has proven himself, and now Paul's going to send him out by himself. And so, let's go down to verse... Uh, well, let me continue in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I want to encourage all of you no matter how old or young you are, 
all of you to find a Paul whom you can serve. Find someone that you can learn from. If, if we stop learning, we're going to stop leading. If we stop learning, you're, you're going to stop teaching. You're not going to have anything more to, to add to the conversation when you stop learning, when you stop trying to, to grow closer to Christ and allow others to help you get there. And so all of us should have a Paul. But you know that there are a lot of, there are a lot of Timothys who want a Paul, but there aren't enough male leaders or female leaders to take them under their wing. A lot of times, we lament the fact that we don't have enough preachers or, you know, we don't have this. And the um, around 2000, the average age of a preacher was about 50 years old. Now, I, they're going to have to pull me out of the pulpit. I'm going to be like 90 years old if, if the Lord allows me to live that long. And I'm going to be sneaking into some pulpit to preach, okay? So I'm not um, advocating that older preachers step down. Here's what I'm advocating. That younger preachers step up. That more young people even open their minds to the idea or the possibility that God might be leading them to that form of leadership. But I believe that the reason more young people don't isn't because there's not a need for those leaders. It's because there aren't Pauls to take them under their wings. Now, let me talk about this. When I was a pastor, when I was in my 20s um, near Lake Village, Arkansas, I was uh, leading a Bible study for the pastors of our association. So here I was, I was probably like 26 or so, and I was leading this Bible study for about 13 to 15 other pastors um, who were older than me. Um, and we were talking about discipleship one day, and I asked them, how many of you had a mentor? Not, not just a, 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 someone who preached and you listened to them preach, but someone who spent time with you, someone who was like Paul and Timothy here, someone who invested into your life, who showed you how to do ministry, who didn't just preach and tell you how to do evangelism, but they showed you how to share the gospel with love. They didn't just tell you to correct someone in love. They showed you how to correct someone in love. They didn't just tell you to live together in unity. They showed you how to live together in unity. They put aside their desires for the sake of the whole. And I asked, how many of you had a mentor? And I was the only one in the room that had a mentor. And there were all these things about ministry that these guys, now, they were amazing men and amazing ministers. And I'm not trying to take away from what God was doing through them, but there were some very basic things from my understanding of of how to be a leader that these guys were coming to me to learn because they didn't have someone who took them under their wings. I didn't even become a Christian until I was 17, but immediately Brandon Massey, who was my youth minister at the time, took me under his wing, and he he showed me what it meant to to follow Jesus and to be a leader. And when I was hired on on a church staff at 19, I wouldn't even hire me. If if this person, if I, if my 19-year-old self put in an application to get a job here, I would laugh and tell him, I'm sorry, that's not possible. But for some reason, God saw it 
it fit to give me an opportunity. And I had men there walking with me every step, showing me how to be a minister. And when I got to college, I met Jeff, who I talked about earlier, who was encouraging me. I met him, and, and he, he filled that role. So my question is, is, are you being a Paul to someone? And maybe you're, you're not a mature enough Christian yet. I, I get that. If you've only been a Christian for a year or two. But I believe that the reason that so many of us, our growth is stifled, is because there's so much of Scripture that we cannot obey if we are not leading other people. There's so much of Scripture that how can we take all Paul's advice on how to be a leader all throughout the New Testament if we're not leading? If we're not trying? And how can young men and women become future leaders of the church if they don't have people taking them under their wings and showing them how to do ministry, how to live their life for Christ. And so, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but if if you're not leading someone, if you're not being a Paul to someone, pray that God would send you a Timothy. Pray that God would put someone in your life that there's no doubt in your mind you're supposed to lead that person. And show them how to be a Christian. And then if you're not a Timothy. Then you need to be a Timothy. The younger we are. We. It's harder for us to see our need. For wise people in our life. When I was 17. And my mom would try to give me advice. I would think. What does she know? As I got older. I started calling my mom. You know, this is what my kids are doing. What do I do? It's okay. I just cut the tip of John Michael's fingers off, finger off with the fingernail clippers. What do I do? She told Rose what to do. I was too frantic to be able to handle that one. But we need to look for people that we can learn from their leadership. We need to humble ourselves so that we can find people who can be mentors to us. So I need to... Continue this on. We're running out of time. He has served with me in the gospel. Verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. He's saying he doesn't know maybe his execution is coming soon. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And so as soon as he finds out, he's going to he's hoping to send Timothy. Verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He's basically saying, I hope things go well. And I hope I get to come see you. And now we, we don't know. There's, there's not evidence that Paul did go back to Philippi. We have plenty of evidence that Paul was released after this point uh, and was able to continue doing great things in ministry, starting churches, until Nero came into power and Nero brought him back to Rome and executed him. But we, we just don't have much information about whether he, he was able to go back to Philippi. But we know he was going to send Timothy and then... Another person, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. If Rose and I have another son, we're going to name him Epaphroditus. Um, Maybe not. Uh, To send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Look at these three terms. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. 
he's saying these great things about Epaphroditus that, again, any of us would love for someone to say about us. And your messenger and minister to my need. And so we see here that Epaphroditus belongs to the church at Philippi, that he was sent to be a minister to Paul's needs, a messenger and a minister to Paul's needs. And so many people believe that Epaphroditus was uh, one of the elders because of this word minister. Um, They believe he was one of the elders at the church of Philippi, maybe the pastor at the church of Philippi, and that um, God put it on their hearts to send Epaphroditus to, to do ministry with Paul, to minister to Paul as he's in prison. Verse 26, For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So apparently Epaphroditus has been sick. And we'll see the depths of that in the next verse. But he's been sick. And it, it's, it bothered the church at Philippi. They were worried about him. They loved him. And they were hoping that things were going well with him. And so verse 27. Indeed he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only him but on me also lest I should have sorrow Upon sorrow. He's saying that God spared him, and it's a good thing because Paul is already in prison. He's already got enough grief to deal with on a day to day basis. He couldn't, he didn't want the guilt of Epaphroditus having, you know, been, been on his way to serve him and something happened to him. And so he's saying here that he is glad that God has spared him because he's his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. In the Lord, a messenger, a minister to his needs. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. He's saying, uh, basically, Epaphroditus was coming to minister to his needs, but he got sick, and he couldn't minister to his needs. And so instead of it being a help to Paul, it was a, a little bit of a burden. Because he was worried about Epaphroditus. But let me make something clear. That does not mean that Epaphroditus' ministry was a failure. Because what we consider fruit and success, a lot of times is not the same as what God considers success. Do you know what God considers success? Obedience. You may never lead a person to Christ. I believe that if you're living in obedience to him, you will probably have that opportunity probably multiple times. But if you never do, your success is not judged by the number of people you lead to Christ. Your success is not judged by the amount of money you put in an offering plate. Your success is not judged by these things necessarily. They can all be good and they can all be a good indication of where your spiritual maturity is and how you are following Christ. But there are just some times where God has something else for you. Okay? Was it success for Jesus to die on the cross? Yes. That was good. Even though it was a horrible thing. Even though it didn't look like success. Even though when he told them that he had to leave them, they didn't understand why. And they got upset. And Peter denied him. And all those things. Success is judged by obedience to God. So when Jesus was on that cross, that was success. When he stayed on that cross and he died for our sins, he was successful. 
and glorifying the Father. He was successful in taking upon our sins upon his shoulders. He was successful at being able to save us. And so, when, how, how can we judge if Epaphroditus was successful in his mission to minister to Paul's needs? Was it because of how much easier he made life for Paul? No. Success was judged when he left Philippi. When God put it on the heart of him and the church that he should be ministering to Paul's needs. And he went. That's when success happened. There was a time when I was younger, in my early 20s, when there was a, a, a sniper in Washington, D.C., and he was, they didn't know any details at the time. They just know, knew people were getting shot at gas stations and other places. And I remember watching that on TV, and I thought, man, I, I, I should do something. And to make a long story short, God convicted me that I could. I could go and pump gas for people. He was shooting people at a gas station. I could go and pump gas for people because I saw in the news report they were hiding behind gas pumps and everything else. And um, so me and another guy decided that we were going to go. And so Ben and I, um, our friends had a commissioning service for us to send us off to pray for our safety, pray that God would use us. And they commissioned us, and we went. And by the time we arrived and got off the plane, they had caught the guy. That was a little bit of a downer. Because I was young and dumb and, you know, ready to put my life on the line. But was that trip a failure? No. Because God put it on my heart to do something, and I said yes. Success is judged by obedience. Let's close this, this out. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Back in the Greek and and Roman cultures, you know, this would have been probably considered a failure from onlookers. And it would have probably been an embarrassment to Epaphroditus and an embarrassment to the church at Philippi. But Paul wasn't having any of that. Paul is saying, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. When we see men and women who are serving Christ the way that God has called us to serve him, we honor those people. We praise those people. Regardless of fruit, we praise those people. We praise what God is doing in their life. We honor them. Honor such men. Verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He's saying the church at Philippi couldn't be there physically. Philippi and Rome, there's some distance between them. But they could send Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus went. And he was feeling the need that, that the church as a whole couldn't feel. He was their representative. And they shouldn't be upset because it looks like a failure because he got sick and had to go home. They should honor him. They should receive him with joy. They should celebrate the obedience that has taken place. And for our church... And if we have visitors here today who are here for the Relay for Life uh, fundraiser, your church, we shouldn't judge success by numbers. Although if God wants to fill these pews, praise God. But we shouldn't judge success by numbers. We should judge success by obedience. And we shouldn't look for leaders by how 
talented they are or how charismatic they are or what they look like or even how many people will walk in awe when they preach a sermon. We should judge success of leaders by their obedience to Christ. Do they look like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? It's easy for us to judge others and say whether or not they're doing a good job or they look like Jesus. But what about us? We need to take responsibility for our own lives, for our own selves. Where are we as leaders? Where do we fit? If, if you haven't found a mentor, someone to learn from, that's step one. Find someone to learn from. To learn how you can do a ministry like they're doing a ministry. You know, go to the clothes closet. Go to uh, the food pantry or ministry. or Find some area of the church where you can help lead. If, if you feel like you have a gift of teaching, find a Sunday school teacher and ask them, can I assist you in your class? And assisting most of the time will mean sitting and learning. But then there will be times when your opportunity arises for leadership. And you can take it. Or maybe your area of leadership is going out into the community and and washing the car of a single mother who doesn't have time to wash her car or mow her yard. Who knows what God might put on your heart? There is an endless amount of possibilities of how God might use you to serve him if you will surrender to him. And there is no limit on the amount of... of influence that God might grant you, the amount of leadership that he might grant you. But we'll never know if you don't obey him now. Because those who are faithful with a little, what? To much will be given. Much will be given. So are you being faithful with where you are right now? That's the question for the invitation this morning. Are you faithful to him? right now and if not you need to spend some time making some commitments to him maybe you're following him but you don't have a Timothy and God has convicted you this morning that you need to find someone to mentor start praying that God would lead someone to you and tell me about that let me know that that's something you desire so I can begin to pray for that also However God is leading you this morning, I'm going to ask that you would respond to him. We're going to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask God to convict us and challenge our hearts. And then as we are having that, uh, our musicians are going to be coming up. And we're going to have a time of invitation where I just ask you to respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. If that means that you want someone to pray for you, then I'm here to pray for you. If that means that you're interested in joining our church, then we'll talk about what that looks like. If, if you want to get saved, If you want to become a follower of Jesus, that's the first step to becoming a leader. You have to follow Jesus first. And so, if that's you this morning, then I would love to talk to you. However God is convicting you, respond in in an appropriate way. Let's pray.